I'm going to share with you this morning what it is to be an infectious church. And as we begin, but before we read the passage of Scripture, I do want to share with you just a, probably to you will seem like a long introduction, but to most, to me it's not. You know, as we look at as ourselves as the bride of Christ, which is the church, which the Bible tells us, you know, we're privileged to have an intimate relationship with our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a privilege we have as his children. We love him and we worship him. We're eternally united with him. We, uh, we understand what his word says. And we also know that no one loves us better or loves us more faithfully than the Lord Jesus Christ does. And that's important for us to keep in mind because sometimes, we know all this, but sometimes though we would rather remain in the refuge of the chapel, if you will, or the church walls, then get outside with the world. The key word there is not get outside in the world, but get outside with the world. Sometimes we'd rather stay inside. And as the bride of Christ, we sometimes don't want to, if you can say, if I can say this, we don't want to wrinkle our, our wedding gown. We don't want to get our clothes dirty. We don't want to ruin or we don't want to muddy up the ceremony. And what we really don't want to do is get out of our comfort zones. We want to stay within the traditions. Oftentimes, we're a little too judgmental when it comes to things like this, when it comes to ministries or when it comes to churches, for that matter. Let me give an example. Many of us have thought this. Many of us have, at least as you're driving down the road, you're on a trip somewhere and you're driving down the road and you see a large, modern-looking church. Many of us think this. Well, that must be a, that must be a full, creative forward-thinking people in that church. Because look at their size. Look at their building. Look at the things that looks like they're doing. Then you go on down the road a little further, and you see a small white church, and you think, I'll bet you they're a close bunch. I'll bet you they're friendly, and they're a bit more old-fashioned and a bit more traditional, I'll bet. But I bet you that's how they act. Then once you walk inside those churches, you may find that the larger church is really quite traditional. And really quite friendly. And you may find that the small church is really quite creative. But full of little cliques here and there. You know, it does happen in small churches. Let me give you another example. Maybe this one you'll identify with a little more. Let's take a ministry. A ministry like a rescue mission. In a big city. We're in the heart of a big city. And we think, you know what? Most of the people who work in these ministries are people who were, who were saved from the streets or, or ex-drug addicts and they're, they're saved from that or something like that. Their lifestyle just has to be part of that way. Now, deep down inside, I think most of us realize that's probably not true, that it doesn't, does, it's not all the people who work there are like that, but that's sometimes what we think. I've been to the L.A. Rescue Mission in downtown L.A., and I thought that, and all the people they minister to sure seemed that way, but not the people ministering weren't all ex-drug addicts or all ex-homeless people. That's what we think sometimes. We say things like, I could never work in a ministry like that. I just couldn't do that. I'm just not any good at working with those kind of people, whatever that kind of people is. You know what we're really saying or what we're not really saying is I don't want to work with those kind of people, whatever those kind of people are. 
Thomas Rayner, who's a church specialist in our day and age, he says there's four types. You see that? There are four types of churches out there. He says the first one is, is the body church. It holds no property and it needs none. It arranges its worship gatherings according to available space in homes, schools, rented halls, or other facilities. Its structure is largely organic, based on a network of small groups bound together by large group corporate worship experiences. So in other words, it's just a bunch of small groups who get together, they meet wherever they can, but they meet just once in a while as a big corporate body, then they split back up. That's the body church. Then there's the cathedral church. He says, regardless of the size of its building, such a church really sees the building as the church. And it is the building which determines the church's whole program and lifestyle. Then there's the tabernacle church. This church has a building, but the building is strictly secondary and functional. It is not a holy place but is seen as a facility to be used to extend the kingdom of God. The building may be large or small, simple or elaborate. The important thing is that it is functional. That's the tabernacle church. And then the fourth category is the phantom church. And this type prides itself on having no building at all. The problem is it has very little structure of any kind. It is like an ink blot that people watch. Each person makes what he wants to of that type of church. There are churches like that. You know what? Jesus didn't think of his church in terms such as that, though. He didn't think of his church in terms of buildings or size like many of us do today. So should we, and now don't get me wrong, should we do away with all church property? Certainly not. That's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm getting at here at all. We just need to keep in mind that rarely does the external reveal what's going on inside, what's really happening inside of a church building. Someone once said this, trying to determine a church's character by its outward appearance or its membership role is like judging a fireplace by its brick and brass. It's the fire inside that counts. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, the fire inside of a church, an infectious style that I hope all churches have, I hope our church has, or if not, catches. What is it that provides the fire in a local church or in a ministry? Have you ever thought about that? What is it that keeps us going? What is it that makes us care? What causes people to come in from a a cold, heartless world and gather together in worship and in ministry and in fellowship together? What causes us to do that? What is it that makes us want to do that? What is it that makes us hopefully want to share that with others so that they will want to do that? It's a catching on, if you will, or an infectious spirit that is fueled by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the answer. That's how it happens. It is the Holy Spirit who stokes the fire in the body of Christ. Do you believe that? It is the Holy Spirit who works in each and every one of us who know Christ as their Savior that ignites that fire, that gets us burning for his glory and for his cause. He ignites our lives for his glory. And think about this. And it's those people who are on fire for God, and you all have met some, and maybe you're one here this morning, but it's those people who are on fire for God that give off this 
curious and an attractive glow that attracts others. Would you agree with that? You know someone who just loves the Lord with all their heart and they're not ashamed of him in, in all aspects of their life and, and you wonder what makes a difference and, and you're attracted to that person. If nothing else, out of curiosity, you're attracted to that person. Kind of like a moth is attracted to a flame. You're attracted to them because something is different about them. And that something is the Holy Spirit. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, yeah, but Pastor Ron, I know Christ is my Savior. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. But maybe you're lacking the fire that he gives. That's what we want to talk about. We can see that infectious spirit in the church in in Thessalonica here. And I want to read this text, and then we're going to go back and and take a brief look at different parts of it. So if you'll follow along with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, And we're going to start reading in verse 1. And Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. And we're going to stop there. This was a church, folks. This church in Thessalonica was a church that was on fire for God. And that's Paul's just beginning to, to plant that in them. They wanted to minister, and they wanted to encourage, and they wanted to share the gospel, no matter what people thought of them, no matter what they looked like on the outside. They were a church that was on fire for God because they believed what Paul had told them. They believed what God had placed in their hearts was true. And Paul was encouraging them in this area. I want to look at four, real quick, four characteristics this morning that made this church in Thessalonica burn with an infectious style. And I hope we can catch the same thing. The first characteristic I'm going to share with you is that it was biblical. It was biblical in its contact. You know, reflecting on... on the times Paul, with, Paul, Paul spent with the uh, Thessalonians, he says this in verse 1 and 2. Let's read them again. 
He says, for you yourselves know, brothers. Now, you've got to put yourself there as if Paul is speaking to us. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In Philippi, Paul was beaten. In Philippi, he was imprisoned. In Philippi, he endured an earthquake. He was hounded by his accusers, and he ends up in Thessalonica. And here he continues to minister, as it says, in the midst of much conflict. The NIV says, in spite of strong opposition, he continued to minister. And why was there all this commotion? Why was it such a big deal? You see, because Paul shares with them the substance of his message, and the substance of his message was the gospel. Look with me in verse 3, or verse 2. He says right here, We had boldness in our God to, to, to declare to you what? You can say it. This is where you guys stay awake. The gospel of God. Okay? If you want to be an infectious church, you've got to at least be able to say that. Okay? That's what he says. He says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. Going down to uh, verse 4. He says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. If you go on over to verse 8, he says something similar. He says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. In verse 9, he says it again. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Folks, this church in Thessalonica that was on fire, they were on fire because they'd heard the gospel, they accepted the gospel, they were sharing the gospel, and as you know, people don't always want to hear the gospel. It can be offensive to some. Let me me rephrase that. It can be offensive to many. But these people in Thessalonica, they didn't care. Paul didn't care. He had already been beaten for such a message. But they knew the message was biblical in content. And when you came to church in Thessalonica, you heard the words of God. You didn't hear the ramblings of men. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, For our appeal, Paul says, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. If not, then what what does it come from? He says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. I want you to think about this. This is the way the church in Thessalonica ran. The word of God was their authority. The word of God is what they stood on. And we need to listen closely. Our conviction should be based on the word of God. Amen? And not on the the shifting thoughts of, of human opinions. Not on the ramblings of man. God's word cuts the heart of hypocrisy right out. They weren't there to please men, the passage says. They were there to please God. And when the Bible is our authority, a church or a ministry that remains biblical in content will become known as a place that tells the truth. Don't you want First Baptist Church to be known as a place that tells the truth? Or would you rather First Baptist Church be known as a nice place to come, a nice place to meet some nice people and to hear somebody preach, sing some very nice songs. But I don't often hear the, I don't often hear what most churches, other churches say, like, I don't know, this gospel thing. They talk about it a little bit, 
but not a whole lot. What would you rather be known as? A church that tells the truth in love and conviction and caring, as we're going to talk about a little later on, or just a church, a place to go to on Sunday? Or would you rather be an infectious church? Well, that is the fire that you have inside, is to share this gospel with others, not be ashamed of it, not be embarrassed. That's the way the church in Thessalonica was. You need to be biblical in content. The second characteristics, characteristic we want to look at is it needs to be authentic. An infectious church needs to be authentic. And look with me in verse 5. Paul writes, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Here the emphasis shifts from the, from the message to the messenger. This passage tells us that Paul was real. He's just being very upfront with them. He says, we never came with words of flattery. And they knew that. He says, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And God is a witness of that. He says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. He's very upfront with them. He didn't exploit the church for his personal gain. He didn't manipulate the people with flattery. He didn't say things he thought they wanted to hear just to make them feel better and then lower the boom on them later. He told them right straight up. He didn't expect royal treatment either of himself or those with him. And he could have. He was an apostle, as it says here in verse 6, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we didn't. Listen, what the Thessalonians saw, they got. And you see a ministry with an infectious style, a ministry that is on fire for God, a ministry where the people's hearts through the Holy Spirit are burning for the things of God. That's an, that, when it is authentic in nature occurs when, and, and listen to me closely, it occurs when real people, real people, that's us, say real things about real issues with real feelings. And that's what Paul does here. We need to stop thinking that Christianity is simply, oh, I know I'm supposed to tell my friends, but tell a few friends, go to church on Sunday, give, you know, do communion once a month, uh, things like that. That's not the fire that we're talking about here. That's not the fire that the church in Thessalonica had. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Look what he says in 5. We have never, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, even though they could have. We should ask ourselves, how real are we? Have you ever done that? How real are we? If you're looking for flattery, is that something you're doing? Do, do, does an authentic life back up your words? When you, say, when you say, I'm praying for you, and I can be just as terrible at this as everybody else, except for you guys, I'm sure you're all good at it. I'm praying for you, do I really mean it? When I say, I'm thinking about you, do I really mean it? When I say, can I help you, do I really mean it? Or do I hope they say, oh, no, there's nothing I can do. 
for me or nothing you can do for me? Do we really mean it? How authentic are we? How, how, how authentic is, is our life? Does it back up our words, the things we say? How many here have ever heard this old phrase? And, and I'm terrible at it. I'm going to be very honest with you. You walk by somebody out there in the foyer and say, how you doing? And you're hoping they'll say what? I'm doing fine. Because if they say, well, I don't know, I'm not doing very good, what do you have to do? Or what should you do? Well, what's wrong? I mean, can I help you with something? And you're hoping nobody says that. Isn't that true? Well, there are some exceptions here. Because, you know, you've got places to go. You've got things to do. You've got to be a big boy right after the service. You can't, you can't be talking to someone about some troubles that you ask about. <laughs> Paul was real. He was authentic in his, in his words. And if you're looking for flattery in the ministry, if that's a part of your life, you need to get rid of it. Whether it's in ministry or whether it's in your life. If you're coming in here and you want to tell us how many people you led to the Lord last week and you want us to know because you think we should know, get rid of that. God knows. God is witness. How about greed? Is there an ulterior, alternative, or, or, uh, ulterior motive? Is there an ulterior motive lurking behind the decisions you make in life or the conversations you have in church or at work? I need to be nice to that person because I want his job. You need to be nice to that person because you're a child of God. Not because you want his job. Is there something like that? Get rid of it. There's no place for it. You're not authentic. You're not real. Deep down inside... Deep down inside, do you seek your own glory? Or maybe, or maybe you seek the praise of other people when you do something, and yet you stand up and say, really, no, really, no, I don't, I don't really want any praise, no, please. Is that the way it is? Get rid of it. Listen, you have to, you have, to have an authentic ministry. There is no hidden agendas. There are no facades. The masks come off, and, and we live what we are. And if you want to be in an infectious church, you need to be authentic. You need to be biblical in content. We need to be willing to admit our failures and, and admit our weaknesses, telling the truth that we don't have all the answers. And we, and we don't always have it all together. Just imagine a ministry that models such authenticity. Folks, listen to me closely. People are fed up with fakes. They're just fed up with fakes. You're fed up with fakes. And they will come out of the woodwork to watch real Christians living real lives and what they claim to believe. We need to be authentic. Here's a third characteristic. That is to be gracious. To be an infectious church, we need to be gracious. Look at verse 7. Paul writes, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
Notice how Paul treated these Thessalonians. He didn't, he didn't bark commands at them like a, like a drill sergeant. He didn't yell at them. He didn't curse at them. He didn't treat them like dirt. The Bible says he gently cared for them like a mother caring for her children. He was tender. He was tolerant. He was patient. Listen, he didn't, he didn't only give them the gospel. It says he gave them himself. And he didn't want to be a burden to them. Look at verse 9 again. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. They worked hard at not being a burden. Paul opened up his, his heart and he let them become dear to him. That's hard to do, folks. But that's what Paul did. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul was a pushover. It doesn't mean that he went soft on the gospel. He was a warrior for the gospel still. But what he did do, he balanced his zeal for God with words of grace. He was gracious in his approach. And the fourth characteristic I'm going to share with you is it was relevant. To be an, an infectious church, we need to be relevant. Look at verse 11. It says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul invested himself deeply in the Thessalonians. And he did it so that they would live lives, as it says here, worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory in verse 12. Listen, the Thessalonians accepted the word of God. Why? Because it was relevant. It was relevant. But look at verse 13. And so it says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you turned your backs away. It doesn't say that. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it as, but as what it really is, the word of God. That's an important phrase, and you could spend a whole sermon on that. So many people hear the gospel, hear the word of God from someone and say, you know what they say? Well, Joe told me about this in the Bible, and he said this, this, and this. You know what they should say? This is what the Bible says. This is what God says. You didn't hear it from, you heard it from me, but it's not my words. It's God's words. And they believed that. They understood that. It wasn't the words of men, but the word of God. It made a difference in their lives. These, these Thessalonians accepted the word of God because it was relevant to them. It scratched where they itched, so to speak. It healed where they hurt. It hit the spot, if you will. It made a difference in their lives. It, 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 let me ask you, is the word relevant to you today? Is it relevant to you Day by day, moment by moment. Remember, Paul knew their culture well. He knew them well, and, and he presented the gospel with the issues of their day in mind. I believe, I want you to think about this. Here's a misconception that many people and many ministries buy into today. And that is that God's just not relevant enough for our day and age. The Bible's old. Things are different. They didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have telephones. 
I don't think they had email. They didn't have any of those things. And so they didn't have cars. You know, they didn't have homes like we have. They didn't have all this stuff. So it's just not relevant today. They didn't have this system of electing politicians, all the things that stress us out. They didn't have that back then. So God's just not relevant enough. Even amongst Christians, some many think that. Folks, I want you to understand this. We don't have to make the scriptures relevant for today. They are already relevant. And that's a misconception we have. We try to take the scriptures and make it relevant for today. We don't have to do that. It is already relevant for today. We simply need to point out how relevant they are. That's what we need to do by holding them up against the issues of today. Paul understood that in the church in Thessalonica. We need to stop dividing the sacred from the secular. That's what we do as far as relevance is concerned. Listen, the word of God is just as powerful in the workplace on Monday as it is flowing from the church on Sunday. Would you agree with that? Would all of you agree with that? Okay, only half of you as well. Folks, it is true. It is as relevant today on any issue you have. As it always said, we don't have to make it relevant. It already is. Verse 12, Paul tells the Thessalonians that we are to walk in a manner worthy of God. He says here in verse 12, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Listen, the way we conduct business, the way we raise our children, the way we relate to our neighbors, and the list could go on and on and on, is no less sacred than the way we worship. Because Christ penetrates it all. And for us to be an infectious church, we have to understand that in each and every one of our lives. Let me give an example. Jesus is the great. Jesus met beggars as beggars. Did he not? He met politicians as politicians. He met prostitutes as prostitutes. This, if, if he had waited for them to come to worship, most of them would never hear the gospel or come to know Christ. And it is the same thing today. A ministry with an infectious style is relevant. It's relevant. It meets people where they are with real issues because you're real. With real feelings because you're real. And so are they. In Proverbs 24 or 29, verse 18, the Bible says this Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, or the people perish in some versions. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Here, this, this phrase vision means a revelation from God. It is better understood as a sense of God. Okay? So, there are many people today who have no sense of God at all. They have no sense of God at all. They have, they have no sense of God's word. And God and his word have been removed from their thinking, and it's not relevant to them. It's not necessarily that they don't believe in God. He's just not relevant to them. It's been removed from their thinking. And this passage in Proverbs is telling us, you show me a people with no prophetic vision, or you show me a people where there's no sense of God and his word and whose thinking God has been removed, you show me that people in terms of their lifestyle, nothing, he's not relevant any longer. He says, and they will be totally without restraint. Anything goes. And then he says, and they will 
perish. Folks, the church today must have an infectious, a contagious, a fire sense of God or else it will perish as well. And it will become just another club to belong to. And we don't want that. Amen? Well, we need to close this. So, folks, for a ministry to burn with an infectious desire to serve God, it must be biblical in its content. It needs to be authentic in its nature. It needs to be real. It needs to be gracious in its attitude. It needs to be kind. It needs to be patient. And it needs to be relevant in its approach. It needs to be effective in all areas of life. When you have a ministry with these characteristics, you know what you can expect? First of all, you can expect God to honor your efforts regardless of your weaknesses. God's in control. The Holy Spirit is the fire, remember? The second thing you can expect, you can expect ourselves to model Christ-likeness with the same zeal that the first century church had with a 21st century style. You can do that. You can expect that to happen. And you'll be meeting people, real people, where they really live with your real sense of feeling for them. And the third thing you can expect, you can expect others to consider joining the ministry in spite of the difficulties they maybe have because they will see that fire inside. They will see that fire inside of you. They will see that fire inside of the church. And today, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I'll make no excuses to you. We need more people involved in the ministries here at First Baptist Church. We need more people on fire. So my suggestion is that's examine our excuses. That's examine the reasons why we're not infectious in our, in our, in our zeal for the gospel. And maybe that fire will be reignited in our hearts. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for this time we do have together. Thank you for your word. But most of all, Father, we pray as we see here in the church in Thessalonica, give us that zeal, give us that fire, give us that infectious style to reach others with the gospel, no matter what the cost may be, to be so in love with you and so on fire for you, to be gracious, to be relevant, to be authentic, and to be biblical. Father, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.